And so this morning, I'd like to speak on the subject that God laid on my heart. I was working on this message just a few weeks ago, about a month and a half or so ago. And I would like to speak this morning on a subject that I needed for myself. This is the kind of message that as I was working on it, it beat me to pieces. And I hope it will be a blessing and a help to every one of us here this morning as we think about this subject of David's greatest victory. David's greatest victory. If I were to ask you what was David's greatest victory, I know immediately people think about, well, there's David and, and Goliath. And you have to admit, that was an incredible victory. After all, uh, who else wants to, to go up? And David didn't really want to, but who would want to face a, a giant warrior of over nine foot tall, about nine foot six inches tall? Who would want to do that? Nobody would want to, but David did, and he won. Back when he was keeping his father's sheep, he said very clearly that he defeated and killed a lion on another occasion to kill the bear on several occasions had to chase the thieves away that were coming to take the sheep from his father's flocks and we know that David when he came back into Jerusalem sometimes after being out to war with the the, the armies of Israel he would come back into Jerusalem and the people would be crying and saying well Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands and and so he was a warrior he'd seen many many victories but the greatest victory I feel he ever won in his life had nothing to do with a sword in the battlefield. It was all a different type of fight, but one that you and I fight. We don't fight giants like that too often. We don't have to fight lions and bears or, and uh, the thieves coming into the flock and the other things like David had to fight. But this battle that I believe was probably his greatest battle is one that you and I do have to fight. I want you to turn with me and notice that in 2 Samuel 2 Samuel chapter 16. I'll let you go ahead and turn and find that place as we'll be reading about the story, a familiar story, you've read it I'm sure many times, the story of David and a certain critic of his called Shimei. Shimei, which I believe was where David won his greatest victory. 2 Samuel chapter 16. Let's begin reading, if you will. You can remain seated, but... Follow with me as we read, starting in verse 5. <clears throat> and when King David came to Bahurim, behold, thence came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. He came forth and cursed still as he came. And he cast stones at David and at all the servants of King David. And all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And thus said Shimei when he cursed, Come out, come out, thou bloody man, and thou man of Belial. The Lord hath returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose stead thou hast reigned. And the Lord hath delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom thy son. And behold, thou art taken in thy mischief, because thou art a bloody man. Then said Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, unto the king, Why should this dead dog Curse my lord the king. Let me go over, I pray thee, and take off his head. And the king said, What have I to do with you, ye sons of Zeruiah? So let him curse, because the Lord has said unto him, Curse David. Who shall then say, Wherefore hast thou done so? And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold my son, which came forth of my bowels, seeketh my life. How much more now may this Benjamite do it? Let him alone. And let him curse, for the Lord hath bidden him. It may be that the Lord will look on mine affliction, and that the Lord will requite me good for his cursing this day. And as David and his men went by the way, Shimei went 
along on the hillside over against him and cursed as he went and threw stones at him and cast dust. And the king and all the people that were with him came weary and refreshed themselves there. Would you pray with me, please, as we look at this passage? Dear Heavenly Father, how privileged and honored we are to be able to come today in spite of all the things that are going on in our country and around the world. We're privileged and honored to be able to come into your house this morning and worship you. And our main goal is to worship you. We haven't come to socialize and fraternize. We have come to worship you. We've come to learn something that will help us to learn how to live better for you, how to be better children, how to be better servants, how to be better friends and brothers and sisters to one another. So we pray that this morning we'll learn those things that will teach us how to worship you better and how to serve you better, to learn the victory that David won that can help us to win this same victory time after time in our lives. We pray in that precious, lovely name of Christ. Amen. Amen. We see this story of David that you've known, you've read it before, but may I say that this is just my personal opinion, that this was, in my opinion, the greatest victory that David ever won. And we're going to try to look at two or three different aspects of this victory that he won here over this fellow called Shimei. Over Shimei. He's a little insignificant speck of dust in the history of Israel, and yet he could have been, again, the downfall even worse of David than what he already had. I want to mention, first of all, that in this story that we just saw here, that David won a great victory over his pride. He won a victory over his pride. Because it would have been so easy for David to be puffed up in pride, built up in pride, and ready to take vengeance immediately upon this man. But David swallowed his pride before Shimei. The soldiers around him were ready to lop off his head just like that. They were ready to step in and defend their king. He was still the king. He was leaving in shame, you might say. He was leaving and fleeing from Absalom. He didn't want to fight Absalom and didn't want to have to kill his own son, so he fled, trying to get away from a terrible situation. And here comes Shimei along on the side of the hill, casting stones and dust and words that hurt him deeply. And in seeing this situation, David could have responded in a thousand different ways. But he swallowed his pride because he knew there was something more important than trying to take vengeance upon Shimei up there on the hill. So many times in our lives, our, our lives are hurt by the little things. The Bible makes that clear. It's not always the giants that bring us down. Shimei was not a giant. <laughs> we know that uh, when uh, Goliath came on the field at over nine foot tall, now that was a giant. He had brothers. He had a family of giants behind him. And he was not a little enemy. The thousands of Philistines that were out there in front of him, the, the bears that came in to attack his flocks, all these were, you, you might say, giants. But Shimei was certainly not a giant. But he still could have brought David down. So many times it's not the big giants that bring us down. It's the little things. And in this case, it's the little Shimei, a little insignificant person in the history of Israel, but he could have brought down a king if the king had not responded to him well. Little things such, such as pride, but little things such as jealousy, such as greed, such as ambition, such as a thirst for wealth, and a thousand and one other things are those little things. As a matter of fact, doesn't the Bible tell us that pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall? Doesn't the Song of Solomon tell us over in 2.15 that it's the little 
foxes that spoil the vines. It's not a raging bull coming through and trampling everything to pieces, but sometimes just those little foxes that come in. And so many times in your life and mine, it's those little things that come in. A small person in our life, by a small, I don't mean uh, an unimportant person. It's just that in my life, that person doesn't have a great weight to carry in my life. And yet, for a moment, he can get into my life enough to bring me down, if I let him. If I let him, the shimmy eyes come along. And you'll find out that there is nothing little about anything that can destroy you. There is nothing little about anything that can bring you down. Shimei was not a giant. He was not a warring tribe of Philistines. And he wasn't all these other things, but he was enough to bring down a king if the king didn't know how to respond to him. We all have eyes in our life. We all have those little things in our lives that can bring us down. But the problem is not having eyes. The problem is how we react to our eyes. The problem is how we respond in our hearts to them. Our attitude toward our eyes can bring us down. eyes cannot bring us down. Our attitudes toward our eyes can bring us down. And this is what we see in this victory of David here in this story. But there's a second victory that I see him win in this story, not just over his pride, but in, that's strictly interior. That's on the inside of David. But on the outside, we can say he won a victory over his critics, a victory over his critics. Sure, Shimei was a critic. He was a severe critic. He threw rocks and dust and words, and, and he was against him. You see the words quoted here of what Shimei had to say as accusations toward David and how that must have hurt. When you were a child growing up like I was, you might have heard that expression that sticks and stones can hurt my bones, but words will never hurt me. When I was about that tall, I think I must have believed that. When I was just waist high, I think I believed that. But the older I got, I realized that wasn't true. Sticks and stones have never hurt me as much as words have. Sticks and stones will maybe leave a scar. But it's a scar that doesn't bother you after a while. I've got scars on my body that came from accidents and incidents, but the scars on the heart, it seems like they always stay fresh. Uh, A a scar on your body, on your flesh, will heal over after a while, but sometimes the scars on your heart and in your life just never seem to heal over sometimes. They stay there year after year, and the words uh, will hurt you always far worse than the sticks and stones that someone could toss. David won a victory over a critic at this time that can help us to see the importance and learning the secret of winning a victory over our critics. We've got to do it, not for their sake so much as for our own. Responding poorly to a critic will hurt us far worse than it will the critic that's trying to take us down. David had learned to live with his critics, and Joab was, was with David, if you remember, 30 years, 30 long years, that Joab walked and worked with David. But toward the end, he turned against David, became his enemy. You remember Mishael? Mishael was David's wife, Saul's daughter. Gave, him, gave her to him for his wife, and for a while that seemed to go all right. As a matter of fact, there was a time when she helped to save his life. When Saul was mad at David and was seeking to take his life, she helped him escape to have his life saved. And yet the Bible says later, when David came back into Jerusalem, dancing with joy before the Lord, before the head of the troops. The Bible says that, that uh, she despised him in her heart. And I quote that from Second Samuel chapter 6. She despised him, his own wife, that used to seemingly, seemingly love him and cared for him, helped him, but now things had changed and she became a critic. 
you know, there's no excuse for being a shimei, but there's especially no excuse in letting a shimei drag you down. Uh, there's a lot of different passages. I'm going to turn, to, you can turn with me if you want. I'm going to turn over to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. You can either turn and follow or you can just listen as I'll read the, the two verses there. 1 John chapter 3 and the two verses 17 and 18. 1 John 3, 17 and 18 says this. But whosoever, but whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. He says love and compassion. He speaks of love and compassion to not shut up our bowels of compassion when we see the needs of the people about us. That means all of them, even our eyes. I think that probably one of the most remarkable and outstanding examples or stories of the ability to forgive a critic goes back to the days of Abraham Lincoln. I don't know if I've ever read a story that was as touching and moving as was the story of Abraham Lincoln back in the, the mid-1800s, around 1855. There was another man involved in the government, not in Lincoln's government. He wasn't president yet in 1855. But there was a man there by the name of Edwin Stanton. Edwin Stanton was quite a character. He was an opponent to uh, Lincoln, and he detested, for whatever reason, nobody could ever figure out, but he detested Abraham Lincoln. And he didn't hesitate to say so publicly. In public uh, meetings and before sometimes hundreds of people, he would talk about his disgust of Abraham Lincoln. Uh, on one occasion, they were supposed to speak, and they were on the platform, and and he, Lincoln was told to sit right over here. Stanton rose up and ejected. He said, I'm not going to have him sit beside me. Get that man away from me. Make him sit down yonder. Lincoln quietly went and took another seat, even though the man organizing the meeting had him to sit there beside Stanton. But Stanton pitched such a fit that Lincoln just simply went to another spot. One time during a break in meetings, they were in a cafeteria and having a meal. And there before everybody in the cafeteria, Stanton took no... Uh, Unlimited measures. He went all the way that he could in front of everybody to make fun of Lincoln, to ridicule Lincoln, and to talk so poorly about him. As a matter of fact, a pet phrase that he used about Abraham Lincoln was he called him a long-armed ape. That was a phrase that he used constantly about Lincoln, that long-armed ape. What can that long-armed ape do in government? How can we trust that long-armed ape? A phrase that came up constantly. But six years later, after all of this, Lincoln was president, and the Civil War had started. He needed what they called back then the Secretary of War. And his uh, chiefs of staff and all the different ones had proposed many different men as being the Secretary of War to head up the northern forces as they went against the South in the Civil War, that terrible time. But Lincoln needed a Secretary of War. Who would it be? All kinds of names were proposed. And he very calmly said, it's all right, it's all right. I know who it needs to be. It needs to be Edwin Stanton. While his aides and his chiefs of staff, they, they were up in arms. How can that be? How can you propose a man like that? They were furious at the choice. He said, well, why in the world would you pick a man that's been so hateful and mean to you? He said, because he's the best man for the job. It's as simple as that. He is the best man for the job. He proposed that position to Stanton, and Stanton amazingly took it. He accepted. 
he became the Secretary of War. And he was extremely gifted in organization and planning and moving troops and moving supplies and doing all it took to keep the forces going in the right way. And he did a tremendous job at that position during the course of the war. When Lincoln was shot and killed and laying in state as the people were filing by, many, many reports came out that during those days that Edward, Edwin Stanton wept like a baby. He bawled. He didn't just cry and shed a tear. But when he came to Lincoln's funeral, he broke down and just, they said, wept uncontrollably. He bawled and he bawled and he wept. And they said that he was known to have wept for days on end at the loss of Abraham Lincoln. And he's the one that coined the phrase and used that phrase about Abraham Lincoln when he said, now he belongs to the ages. Now he belongs to the ages. Because you see, if Lincoln had responded the way sometimes you and I would do, that would never have happened. He would never have been in that position to help the government, and he would never have received the love and the compassion back from Stanton that he could never force, but he could only win. We cannot force anybody to love us. We can't force anybody to like us. All we can do is just try to win that love and respect and compassion and friendship and friendliness between people. We can try to win it, but we cannot force it upon anybody. Lincoln couldn't force it upon Stanton, but he won it over a period of time as Stanton got to know him, who he really was, and what he was doing. You see, there's something about it that critics, if you come back to a critic and respond the way he came to you, if he came at you in a certain way, if you go back to him in a certain way, he knows how to handle that. He knows how to handle, uh, if he takes a shot, somebody fires back at him. If, if you take a shot at him, or he takes a shot at you and you take a shot at him. He can understand that. He can handle that. But a critic doesn't know how to handle compassion. If, if somebody just doesn't like you and is against you, then you can mark it down. He won't know how to handle compassion. He can understand your gripes and complaints and, and your temper fits and your anger fits, all the other things you might do to, to respond the way he's acting, but he'll know how to handle those things. But he will not know how to handle compassion. David won a great victory over his pride. He won a great victory over his critics. But the last thought I had this morning was how he won a victory over vengeance. Over vengeance. We see this a little bit farther on in, in uh, 2 Samuel. Look at chapter 19. Not too far away, just a few pages over. Chapter 19, beginning in verse 15. Chapter 19. Let's see how David won this final part of the victory over vengeance, over pride and over his critics, but now over an ability to take vengeance. He just didn't want to do it. Notice in verse 15, chapter 19 and verse 15, we begin reading here. So the king returned and came to Jordan, and Judah came to Gilgal to go to meet the king to conduct the king over Jordan. And Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, which was of Bahram, hasted and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David, and there were a thousand men of Benjamin with him, and Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, and his fifteen sons, and his twenty servants with him. And they went over Jordan before the king, and they went over a ferry boat to carry over the king's household, and to do what he thought good. And Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king as he was come over Jordan. 
and said unto the king, Let not my lord impute iniquity uh, unto me, neither do thou remember that which thy servant did perversely the day that my lord the king went out of Jerusalem, that the king should take it to his heart. For thy servant doth know that I have sinned, therefore behold I am come the first this day of all the house of Joseph to go down to meet my lord the king. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, you remember him from the other chapter, answered and said, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this, because he cursed the Lord's anointed? And David said, What have I to do with you, ye sons of Zeruiah, that ye should this day be adversaries unto me? And shall there be any man be put to death this day in Israel? For do not I know that I am this day king over Israel? Therefore the king said unto Shimei, Thou shalt not die. And the king swear unto him. So you see, David was coming back now differently. You know when you kick a dog and he'll bow that head and tuck his tail between his legs and go cur curl up in a corner someplace? That's the way David left Jerusalem. Like a dog that had been kicked in the rump and was leaving in shame. But now he's coming back victoriously. He's coming back at the head of his troops and this time as the victors. His heart was broken over the loss of Ab Absalom. And yet he was coming back and he was the king of Israel. He always was. But he left in shame. Now he's coming back in victory. He's coming back. He left in weakness. He's coming back in strength. He left his head down. He's coming back his head up. Everything has changed now as he comes back in. And Shimei could see that. He knew that. He knew that uh, the thing had been dealt. It was over with. He was no longer chasing a de defeated man out of town. That defeated man was no longer defeated. He was coming back victorious. And now maybe I'm in trouble, he's thinking to himself. And so he goes and tries to make amends. And, and this would have been even easier for David to have just snapped his fingers and sent somebody up there to take care of that Shimei. Now is the time to take care of him. I didn't take care of him before, but I'll take care of him now. But someone said, and I wrote this down, that David had drowned his thirst for vengeance in his thankfulness before God. Would you like to know how to drown your thirst for vengeance? Well, drown it in thankfulness before God for what you've got. He drowned it in his thankfulness before God. Uh, a couple other passages come to mind. I'm going back over to the New Testament, to Ephesians, if you will, please. And you can follow if you want, or just listen. Just one verse here in Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 32. Chapter 4, verse 32, he says this, And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. The Bible says that when we're saved, we become a child of God. He does so that we might be conformed to the image of God. He wants us to be conformed to the image of Christ. Now, how can we possibly be conformed to that image of Christ if we harbor hatred and vengeance in our hearts. And if we can't learn to forgive, like he says here, like Christ forgave us, be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. We need to be able to learn how to forgive the way Christ forgave, the way God has forgiven. Colossians chapter 3 is not too far away. I'm going to turn there for another passage here very quickly and briefly in chapter 3, verse 13. One verse, verse 13, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. So you see, when we learn to 
swallow our thirst for vengeance and to drown that in thankfulness before God. We're just imitating Christ. Thomas Akempis wrote that famous book about imitation of Christ. Well, this is one way we can imitate Christ is by just trying to learn how to forgive and forget. You know, forgetting, that's a, another difficulty. My wife can just wipe things out of her mind. I don't know how she does it. She can just wipe them out because she wants to. And I'll want to, and I can't seem to do near as good as she can. I'll say, honey, you remember when such and such happened? She said, no. I'll say something that will help to jog her memory. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, I remember that. But if I didn't say that, she wouldn't remember. It's gone. She can just wipe things out because she wants to and she's able to. And I'll still, still be laying there at night thinking about it. It's terrible. But we can all be that way. We are all that way. That's the way we are. And yet David came back and I don't know how much he thought about Shimei while he was gone. But seeing Shimei back out there on the hill as he's coming into town this time, he knew that this time I wouldn't do it in a fit of anger or just because I could. But if I do it now because that's justice. Now I can wreak justice on Shimei, but he didn't even do that. We need to leave all that in the hands of God, don't we? And just remember that the only thing that's important with our Shimei's goes on inside right here, right here. All those ones, and I'm not even talking about spiritual things. I'm talking about even on the job, the things that happen in the workplace, the things that happen at school. It's not just a spiritual matter of what happens in church. It's a matter of everywhere you go in life. You do anything at all in life, whether it's for God or just trying to develop your business, move up in your company where you're working, and just to simply be a good workman. I guarantee you, if you just try to be a good workman on the job, you'll have people who don't like you doing that because that makes them look bad. <laughs> That's all you have to do. You're just trying to be a good civilian, a good citizen of this country, and work for God and do the right things, and you'll have the critics, the Shimeis, along the way. And God says, "That's not Shimeis aren't important. Your heart's important. What happens in you is important. And by the way, I'm not going to take time to read this passage, but uh, back, I'll just mention it because it did happen to close out the story, you might say. I'll turn to the passage, but I'm not going to try to read it. It's a little bit longer than what I want to take time for this morning. If you leave it in the hands of God, God knows how to take care of his shimmyeyes. If you leave it in the hands of God, shimmyeyes are no problem for God. And I'm not going to read the passage, but I'll just mention the passage and the incident is over in 1 Kings chapter 2. You remember David's dead now. And his son Solomon is king. And he's reigning in Jerusalem in, in incredible power and strength and everything a king could ever hope for. And Shimei was there. And he remembered, he knew the story of Shimei and what Shimei had done to his father David. And so he called Shimei in. And he says, now listen, I want to tell you something. I'm not going to, to pronounce judgment upon you and sentence you or have you killed like I could if I wanted to. I'm going to tell you this. You stay in the city. You've got your home. You've got your house and your your way of making a living, whatever you're doing there, you can stay there and do it, but don't you ever leave that house. Don't you ever leave the city. You don't leave the city. This is not just house arrest. It's city arrest. You don't leave the city. And if you do, you will answer at your own hands for what you did. Well, for three long years, he never left. But there came a time when he had a couple servants that ran away and went to another city. He says, well, I'm going to take care of that. He, he saddled his mule or whatever it was and took off to go get those servants and bring them back. And Solomon heard about that, that Shimei had not accepted or not respected the conditions that Solomon had given him. And so he came back and he called Shimei in. He said, I thought I told you that on the day that you left the city that you would pay it your own life. I had my servants that ran away. I had to go get them. And so he did. But he paid with his life. 
because Solomon had him taken out and executed. You see, David left it in God's hands. And you and I must learn to leave it in God's hands because God knows what to do with these people and these situations. It's not always sometimes a person. Sometimes it's a situation that becomes your shimei. Sometimes it's a situation where your faith and belief in God is put to the test. It's not always a person. Sometimes it's a situation that becomes your shimei, and God can handle them all. He knows how to handle everyone because God is God. And he knows the future and what's down the road. And God gave shimei another chance. And for three years, he accepted that chance. Then he left the city and came back and he paid for leaving with his life. So you see, he was taken away, but in God's way and in God's time. I'll just close on this one last thought. A story I read about Leonardo da Vinci. About everybody here, I'm sure, has seen that incredible painting that Leonardo da Vinci did on the Last Supper. A long painting, not real tall, but long. And it shows the table where Jesus was supposedly, this was in his imagination, the best he could do to reproduce it in his mind, where Jesus was sitting in the middle place on that table, and the table was spread out like this with the disciples going part on this side and part on that side beside the Savior. The Last Supper, the Last Supper. We've seen that painting and reproductions of that painting many, many times. We all have. But the story goes that when Leonardo da Vinci was working on that painting, on that particular day, he was trying to put in the face of the Savior. Other things were in there. Some parts were done. But on this particular day, his job was to get the face of the Savior drawn into that painting. And he was working on painting the face of Jesus right there in that central part of that painting. And a man came in that he knew that came into his studio while he was working that day. And he looked at that painting. And he began to criticize it. He didn't like it. <laughs> How can you say that's a great work? Why, Leonardo, you've done better than that. He just criticized the overall effort that Leonardo da Vinci was putting into that painting. And eventually, he just walked on out and left and went home. And da Vinci tried, he was upset. He, was, he responded harshly to that man. He, he was uh, bitter toward what that man had said. He took it very poorly. And after that man left, he sat back down and he tried to get back to work on painting in the face of the Savior. And he found he couldn't do it. He just couldn't do it. And so the story goes that Leonardo da Vinci laid his, his uh, things down, excuse me, his brushes down, and he got up and he went to that man's house. And he apologized to that man for the way he responded to his criticisms. He said, you might be right. He, he said, you, you have a right to say what you think. You see it differently from me, and, and I'm sorry that I responded so poorly. He went, and he's the one that apologized. The other man should be the one to apologize, but he went and apologized to the other man for the way he responded. And he went back to his studio, picked up his brushes and his paints, and he sat down, and now he was able to do it. And he was able to put in the face of the Savior in that particular painting, the way he imagined that the face of the Savior would have been. But he couldn't do it before because of what was going on in his heart. And I'm telling you, my friends, there's been a lot of times when in my heart, in my life, the face of the Savior has been blurred because of what was going on in my heart and my life. I couldn't see him clearly, and I certainly could not reproduce him clearly because of what was going on in here. And it's not always another person. Sometimes it's a situation. But because of what was going on in here that I was not handling well, I was not seeing clearly the face of the Savior, and I certainly was not reproducing clearly the face of the Savior. It's all of this is why I feel that this story of Shimei 
is no doubt David's greatest victory. I would say surely that it's a sign of the greatest victory that you and I can possibly have in life is a victory over ourselves. Nobody has ever hurt me as much as I've hurt myself. I've had people throw stones and words and things at me before, and I've had uh, there in France a uh, time or two, somebody took a swing at me. One time it didn't do no more than clip my nose, but that wasn't apparently too hard to do. But uh, those things like that, you can leave in the past and even chuckle about. But the words, the words, that's different. That's different. And as we try to live for God and move forward through the hassle and the stress and the things that come up in life, just look at them as shimmy eyes that God can handle. My problem is not that guy or that thing or that situation over there. I just got to make sure I stay right in here. And if I'll stay right in here, God can handle that person or that situation, that event, whatever's going on that becomes a shimmy eye in my life. And I'll find out as time goes on, that's a very small, insignificant little thing, but it can bring me down if I let it. We have to be able to have peace in here before we can effectively see the face of the Savior, the Savior and to be able to reproduce that face before the people around us that need to see that face clearly. And they'll only see it in you and me and if we only have it right, if we have it right. To have that right, we've got to be right here. What a great victory for David, and it's a practical victory for you and I because we don't have our Goliaths and the other enemies to fight, but we all have to fight those things every day of our lives. May God help us to learn that simple lesson. So this morning, if God has spoken to your heart in any way, you might not have a person on your mind. It doesn't have to be a person, like I said. It's not necessarily a person. But if you have a shimmy eye in your life, whether it's a situation or whatever, but it's been working you over, and it's been stressing you out. It's causing you not to sleep quite so well. If it's been a hindrance uh, to your spiritual life, if you have something in your life, that little fox that spoils the vines, why don't you just come and leave it in God's hands this morning? Why don't you just come and say, Dear God, that thing has been working me over. I realize how small and insignificant it is, but this morning I come and I want you to know you can have it. I'm through fighting with it. I'm through trying to handle it and deal with it. You can have it. I'm just going to live for you and let you take care of the, the last chapter for that guy or that thing or that situation. I'm going to leave it in your hands. And I'll be a lot better off. You'll be better off, but especially I'll be better off. I'll be better off if I can just learn to do that. So if God has laid something, whether it's a personal or a situation or a thing, on your heart this morning, and you'd like to come to the altar when we have an invitation in just a moment and just leave it at the altar and say, Dear God, I've been fighting this thing, but starting right now, you can have it. I'm not, not going to deal with it anymore. I know that you know what to do with it. And if you're here this morning and Jesus is not your Savior, then you've got not just a shimmy eye, you've got a devil on your back. You've got Satan on your back. And you need to get him off. You need to come to Christ. That's not just a, a critic. That's an enemy, an avowed, ruthless enemy. If you don't know Christ as your Savior this morning, Come to the altar. There'll be a man to talk with the men, a lady to talk with the ladies. There'll be someone here to talk with you and show you how you can have peace with God before you leave this room today. Would you stand with me, please?